Welcome back to our study of Romans. We are where we left off two weeks ago. Um, in, uh, we'll be looking at the last part of Romans chapter 11. Um, but I'll read, as I usually do, uh, the entirety of the, the chapter just so we can remember where we are. But before I read, let, me, let us go before our God in prayer. Let's pray. Grace God, we do thank you for um, your revelation to us, that uh, you have uh, disclosed to us yourself and uh, some of your purposes uh, for this world and your, your plans for your people. We thank you for how you've spoken to us through your servant Paul and uh, the heart that he has uh, for both the Gentiles and Jews, um, for all who can uh, make up uh, the people of God. We thank you uh, for the gospel of Jesus, um, that uh, you didn't just reveal yourself to us um, through your laws and through the prophets and through other writings, but you sent uh, your very word to us, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you um, that uh, we know that there sits uh, flesh in heaven, uh, flesh at your very right hand. Um, and because of his uh, life-giving life and death and resurrection, we have the hope and promise, the sure hope of eternal life in him because of his uh, full and complete reconciling work and that he who began a good work in us will surely bring it to completion. Lord, we ask uh, and we thank you uh, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, the same Spirit that spoke through Paul when he wrote this letter to the Romans is the same Spirit that speaks to us, and we ask that that Spirit would guide us into all truth uh, this day, uh, uniting us uh, to one another, even as it um, further unites us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, teach us by your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, hear now the word of God from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears would, that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? 
By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They are broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut, cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? And now uh, verse 25 is picking up what we'll look at today. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's uh, inerrant and holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. And first of all, let me apologize for the computer set up here. Obviously, I was having printer problems this morning, so I also forgot to spring forward, but that's another story. I made it. <laughs> In my usual style.
state of disheveledness. Um, all right, so um, with this end of chapter 11, um, we're coming to a close of a section that um, Paul started back in chapter 9. Um, and, and this section came right on the heels of um, those, those great promises at the end of chapter 8, uh, promises of God's un everlasting and unchanging love and, and that idea that um, God works all things together uh, for the good of for those who are called according to his purpose. So the, the difficulty that Paul then addresses, starting in chapter 9, is well, what does that mean for uh, the people of God from the Old Testament, for, for Israel? So uh, the seeming rejection of Israel um, to, to the coming of Christ, to the coming of the Messiah, uh, does that render God's promises null and void, or as he says um, in verse 6 of chapter 9, it is not as though the word of God has failed. So 9 through 11 is focused on, on the relationship of, of Israel um, and, and dealing with uh, the, the difficulties that, um, that are presented if Israel um, has rejected uh, um, God's Messiah. Like, does that mean that God's promises have all failed? So in chapter 9, uh, we saw um, Paul's first answer to this is no, <laughs> because one, um, not all Israel, not all the descendants of Israel, not all Israel is Israel, um, so that there is a difference between the corporate election of Israel and individual election. And then not only Israel is Israel, that the, the concept of Israel, God's elect people, include Gentiles as well, um, according to God's electing purposes. Um, in chapter 10, he uh, then moved into this idea of, of looking at um, the problem is one. Um, so 9, it's, it's God's elective purposes. In chapter 10, it's a question of the response of faith. And the, the difficulty um, for, for, for the Jews of Paul's day is that they were clinging to a righteousness of their own, rather a righteousness based on the law, rather than this righteousness based on faith. Um, uh, and, you know, and has this glorious invitation. Chapter 10 is a great missions chapter in Scripture. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes into that, how will they call on him and whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Um, and so he goes into this, this, this beautiful picture of the gospel going forth. And what has happened, Paul says, that gospel has gone forth to the Jews, but they have rejected um, you know, they've heard the message and they've rejected it. Um, so in chapter 11, um, last time when we met two weeks ago, we saw Paul dealing with two um, questions. I asked then, has God rejected his people? And by no means. And he starts off um, answering that question with the, the concept of the remnant, that God has preserved from the 
the nation of Israel, individuals like Paul himself. Um, and, and he compares it to, um, you know, Elijah's day. Elijah thinks he's the only one. Um, but God says, no, I've kept for myself 7,000. Um, and then uh, he has this, the next question he asks is, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Um, did, did God cause them to stumble just for them to fall? And, and he goes into this um, really, um, uh, you know, kind of comprehensive picture that, uh, of God's plan here, that the, the stumbling of Israel was for the purpose, purpose that the Gentiles might come in. And then that bringing in of the Gentiles, um, Paul's hope is, will provoke Israel to jealousy so that there will be um, this ultimate reaping um, from, from, uh, from Israel, the full inclusion that he talks about um, in, in verse 12. And that full inclusion um, is what uh, particularly important for this last section we'll, we'll see. Um, and then uh, the other thing we talked about two weeks ago was this idea of, of one tree. So there's, there's one tree that's founded on the promises of God, the covenants of God, um, and that uh, branches have been cut off that tree in order that Gentiles might be grafted in. Um, and he reminds, and, and part of the purpose of this section is to, to, to teach the Gentiles not to be arrogant. He specifically addresses the Romans uh, and the, um, the Gentiles in the Roman church, like, don't be proud and <laughs> lift it up that you've been grafted in. Um, just as the natural branches were cut off, um, you too could be cut off. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it's God's kindness and severity uh, go together. Um, so, so this leads into the the climax or crescendo of what Paul has been saying, not just in chapter 11, but, but, but all three of these chapters, 9, 10, and 11, um, is what Paul's doing in verses 25 through 32. So he starts off, um, this is a problem like I got a scroll. Down to my question, there we go. Um, so he starts off with this idea, uh, you know, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery. So what is the mystery that Paul wants the Romans not to remain ignorant about? Um, and I, I actually, I love uh, Douglas Moo's translation of this because I, I think it, um, for I do not want you to be ignorant, uh, brothers, about this mystery in order that you might not be wise in your own estimation. Um, so I, I like that, like, uh, ignorance equals wise in your own estimation. <laughs> so do not be wise in your own sight. Uh, don't remain ignorant. <laughs> want you to understand. Don't remain ignorant. Um, uh, don't be wise in your own sight. I want you to understand this mystery. So what is the mystery that Paul's referring to here? Yeah, Tracy. Well, it often is, like, so if we think of the concept of mystery, um, mystery can refer to, um, uh, it, it often in the scriptures, again, I hate scrolling, um, so let me, I phrase this well. So, um, so usually mystery involves an event or insight associated with Christ's coming and the preaching of the gospel. 
So when, when the New Testament uses mystery, it often that, that you know, it's not, um, the, like there are all these kinds of mystery cults in Paul's day where mystery is what's the secret knowledge revealed to the insiders and it's kept secret from the outsiders. And that's not how Paul uses mystery. Mystery is, is something that was previously unknown that God has disclosed. And in this case, the mystery is, is Christ's coming that's been disclosed to the people. Um, so, so that's like the, the general, like what mystery is. But, but as we think in this chapter, what, what is the mystery that, that's specifically being revealed here in chapter 11? Yeah, and, and it's 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 I think it's to see this kind of like one commentary I read talked about like this oscillation, and you see it in in verse um, twenty five, a hardening has come up partly on Israel um, until the fullness of Gentiles comes in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. So it's this idea that this is the the thing that is astounding. Um, that a hardening has come upon Israel. Like, so the, the people, as we saw last time, last um, couple weeks ago, the people have received all the promises, all the, the covenants, and you know, they're the ones who we would expect, expected to have received the coming of Christ, but they've rejected him. But by their rejection, that has opened a, a window for which the gospel can go out to the Gentiles, and he's, he's saying here, like, so now the gospel is going forth through the Gentiles, and through the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, that will lead to the salvation of Israel. So it's, you know, the promises start with Israel, Israel rejects the coming Messiah, but that opens the way for the Gentiles to come in, which will in turn lead back to um, to fulfill, fulfillment of God's promises for Israel. So, so yeah, it's like that three parts. <laughs> or he describes the mystery in those three separate clauses. A hardening has come partly on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. So there, all right. So the first of all, the way to think of it is to think corporate. So God made promises to corporate Israel, um, and what Paul's saying is, is God will fulfill. The, and what he's been saying in these chapters is God will be faithful and is being faithful to those promises. Their current rejection, notwithstanding, 
so so he's saying like from a um, a point of visibility, it seems like they've rejected, but their rejection doesn't nullify God's promises. Like they're faithless, but God is faithful. Um, so the you know as we think about like when will these promises be come in, it, it seems to be at some future date, um, uh, you know, and, you know, it's, it's the hardening has been partial, he tells us, it's been a partial hardening, and it's temporary, like, it, it, it has a time limit, and that time limit is until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, whenever that is, it seems to be a future date from, from Paul's perspective. Um, and in this way, all Israel, and that's corporate Israel, that doesn't mean every individual Israelite, but corporately, God's um, blessing will fall upon Israel um, to a certain extent. Um, so I don't know if that completely answers your question, but that seems to be the logic that Paul's unfolding here. Um, and he, he doesn't, like... He's using eschatological language, but language about the end days. But he's not going into uh, to, to specifics. Like, but, he, but he's saying, like, in this way, all Israel will be saved. And he's, he's confident in this because, one, that's what the scripture says. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Um, so it... it as we think about it, like, you know, it, it's not that Israel is kind of singled out as special, like, different from the Gentiles. Like, the way they're going to be blessed is the same way that we're blessed through belief in Jesus Christ. But there, he, he does seem to be saying there will come a moment where Jew and Gentile alike will both have a fullness of belief in Jesus Christ. So sort of thinking of those corporate entities there will be a fullness for the Jews. There'll be a fullness for the Gentiles. You know that that you know there will be God's complete salvation for Jew and Gentile alike. And it, and and it's we we don't think we because we we're kind of in an individualistic age we try not to or we don't usually think corporately, but but it's that like um, oh I don't have time to look it up but Douglas Moo actually um, looked in the Septuagint the word all Israel shows up 170 times only three times does it seem to mean everybody <laughs> every individual like so all Israel is kind of like a blanket the same way like I might say, like the whole United States suffered during the Great Depression. Does that mean everybody became a hobo and lost their job? And like, you know, no. <laughs> um, but but the, the whole, the corporate body suffered. Um, not every individual person in the United States suffered during the Great Depression, but as a corporate body. So, so, um, and he's already established back in chapter 9, not all the literal descendants of Israel belong to Israel. Like, so there's, this, there's an individual election within this corporate distinction. Um, so there's both 
uh, and as we think about, there's, there's, there's both continuity, God's promises remain the same, but there's a discontinuity. Christ has come, and it's through Christ that those promises are going to be fulfilled. And so in order to, to you know, for this remnant to be restored, it has to be restored through belief in Christ. Yeah, John. It's definitely started in his his day because as he says, like, you know, as he said at the end of chapter 10, um, you know, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Like the gospel has come, you know, and, and we saw this in Acts. Paul shows up a town, he goes to the synagogue, he preaches the gospel clearly, preaches that the Messiah has come, and he gets booted from the synagogue, and then he goes out to public square and he preaches to the Gentiles. So he, he has this idea that through their rejection in Paul's day, the gospel is going forth to the Gentiles. Um, and and it, you can, um, one commentator talked about it, it's like, you can think about it like a play. <laughs> God's salvation history play. Um, and for, for, for most of that play, the, the nation of Israel has been center stage. Um, and now they've kind of stepped to the side of the stage and the, the Gentiles are at center stage. But that doesn't mean that, you know, that there's not a further act for which the nation of Israel will come in um, and God will once again lavish his, his blessings and he's clear like throughout this it's not because of particular quality or, or aspect um, in Israel it's because of God's faithfulness to his promises um, and so you know as we think about it like you know it, it's temporary it has a time limit and that time limit is until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and that's what you know, remains kind of cloudy for us is when is that time? <laughs> um, coming in, uh, that language of coming in is, is often used in the New Testament um, uh, for an eschatological promise. Let me give you an example if I can find it. Uh, not only did I not be able to print, I also forgot my Bible, so everything I had marked is, <laughs> is at home. <laughs> um, Uh, so, like, the, the same verb is used in Matthew chapter 7. Um, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it or come in are many. Um, so it's that same kind of, of language, like, you know, the broad gate is, is, is wide, and people who enter that broad gate, who come in that broad gate, lead to destruction. Um, same way people come in through the narrow gate, it leads to salvation. So it's that kind of coming in. No.
Yeah, and with that, like, um, as we think, like, again, like, in eschatological terms, um, and, and, and exactly what Brian's saying, what makes it difficult is um, the eschatological new age, Paul's living in it. So that's why he can say now, <laughs> um, you know, he, he can say, um, uh, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but, have, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So he's using now <laughs> for all of those, um, but he's also using kind of um, future language as well. And as, as Brian's saying, like, all right, what is the reference point? You know, is it a future? It's future to Paul, clearly, um, but is it 70 AD? Is it, you know, um, the, the life of the church? Is it some fullness yet to come? That, that's, as, as Brian says, that is, is what remains kind of a point of discussion. But we can, what to, his main point, though, is, is that, again, that God's promises are irrevocable uh, and that there is a fullness, a full inclusion of the people of Israel just as there will be a full inclusion of, of the Gentiles. Like, this is the gospel for Jews and Gentiles alike, and God's redemptive purposes and his redemptive promises will come to fruition in both those groups of people. And that's why you can use this language, uh, especially the language of verse 13, 32. For God has consigned all the disobedience, all being, all Gent you know, Gentiles, Jews, all, um, that he may have mercy on all. Jews, Gentiles. So it's that that idea that both Gentiles and Jews experience a period of disobedience, and that disobedience sets the stage for God to show His mercy, and it's a mercy that that the Jews don't deserve. It's a mercy the Gentiles don't deserve, but it's a mercy that God has lavished forth in His electing purposes. down to the next question. <laughs> um, all right, where are we? Okay. Um, so, so again, like, and it, he has, a, um, as he's done so often, um, he has this just as, so also. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. Like, again, it's, it, he's got this kind of three-stage the Jewish disobedience is what led to the gospel coming to the Gentiles. So they too have now been disobedient in order that the, by the mercy shown to you, they may also receive mercy. So by the Gentiles receiving mercy, now an opportunity has come, um, he's saying, for God's mercy to be shown back to, to, to Israel. Um, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he have, may have mercy on all. So again, the, that all there is it's corporate still. All, Jews, Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles, just as Jews and Gentiles have both been disobedient, so Jews and Gentiles will both receive 
the mercy of God. All right, any other questions on this section before we get, uh, I, I do want to spend some time on the doxology at the end, but we've got a few more minutes if people still have questions on this, this earlier section, which again is bringing to, to a conclusion what Paul has been saying that, um, you know, has God rejected his people? By no means. Um, you know, that their rejection um, has set the stage for the coming in of the Gentiles, and by the coming in of the Gentiles, that sets the stage for God's full blessing to fall upon the nation of Israel because his promises haven't been, um, haven't been revoked. Um, the word of God has not come uh, empty. Um, it's, it's all those promises, all those pledges, um, that covenant that he talks about um, from Isaiah w with them when they, he takes away their sins. Those promises will be met. All right, let's um, finish this section. So he concludes with this beautiful um, doxology. Um, and uh, it, the word O oh <laughs> doesn't quite capture um, um, this. So the, the O, two little letters there, um, is a, a particle uh, in, the, in the Greek that um, it's an exclamation. It's an emotional assertion of awe. So just like, oh. <laughs> um, no, this should be like, oh. Um, I got to hear uh, Rick Downs um, preach, the pastor at CTK Cambridge, preach on this. And he used this great illustration um, and I, I, I didn't get all the details of what particular concert was, but there was this concert in, in Boston, um, and there, there was a recording of it, and, you know, this beautiful music, and when it comes to, to an end, like, before the audience breaks into applause, you hear this, this you know, child's voice, like, in the silent, that silent pause go, Wow, <laughs> um, and then you know thunderous applause, and, and 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 I think Rick's right. Like, you know that O should be like, wow, <laughs> and then uh, you know the how how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. That that how um, is also uh, a particle, an exclamation particle. And it, it should be like, like the, the example I can think of like, you know, if you, you're watching like a sporting event and like some athlete does something and like, you're like, how? <laughs> like, how on earth was that humanly possible? Or um, it was one of those moments I wish we had on film. Um, we went and played um, mini golf last summer and like, I can't remember which, I think it was Dana. Yeah, it was Dana hit hit one and like like the ball went airborne. It like bounced off multiple rocks. <laughs> like, you know, and then it went in. <laughs> and you're like, how on earth? Like I I I'm not sure physics could explain how that ball ended up in the cup. Um but 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 the O and the how here are both those kinds of expressions of 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 awe. Um, so 
Yeah, so what prompts Paul's outburst of, of awe um, at the end of this chapter? Yeah, that his ways are are unsearchable, um, like you know, and his judgments are inscrutable. Like you know, like he, he um, it's the idea. Like there is no like you know, we make a judgment. Like you know, there there can be someone over us that you know analyzes our judgments and and you know parses it to make sure it was correct. And but there is no authority over God to parse and to, to render criticism of his, his judgment. So they're, they're beyond um, criticism in that regard. Yeah, and, and that at the, the, the end result is we, we are blown away at how much better God, what God has done than, than you know, what we have, would have done or what we would have planned or what we thought was going to happen. Like, you know, our expectations are, are so narrow and limited. And, and once we see God's plan and God's working, in history, like it, it blows the, the limited boundaries of our expectations away. Like, I mean, think anytime, like you go somewhere and like you've got super low expectations on, uh, gotta go to this, well, with me, it's usually anything social. I've gotta go deal with people. <laughs> Why can't I just be in my, you know, stay with my books and then like I'll I'll leave and like wow I had a good time I talked to so and so and so and so <laughs> like but you know it, and it's that idea like um, it, it's by seeing how God has worked in his plan of salvation um, we see that something that is you know literally impossible um, you know because if we think of this being a crescendo not just for chapters 9 through 11, but chapters 1 through 11, like, think back where we were midway through chapter 3. Like, you know, back in chapter 3, um, uh, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, you know, it, it, it should be story over. <laughs> we, 
We all fell short. <laughs> There's the standard. We all didn't, you know, meet it. Um, you know, the the gap is there, and none of us can can close it. Um, but the amazing story is that God sent His Son. Um, the the story of chapter five. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the un ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's this, yeah, like, <laughs> um, it's our expectations are limited and narrow. And when we see God's redemptive plan, we see its fullness and completion and how by you know, giving these promises to a tiny, despised people in the Middle East, he has set the stage for the redemption of the entire world. Like, he didn't choose the biggest nation to send his son to. He didn't choose the most powerful or wealthy nation. He didn't choose the wisest nation. But he chose this people. Um, and through that, that group of people, he sent his son to be the savior of the entire world. Um, and that might not be the way, like, you know, again, we would be like doing the demographic, let's see, what, what, what would be the most strategic place? <laughs> or, you know, uh, the place our plan would have the greatest opportunity of success. Like he's kind of set it all up that no one would expect a savior to come from this place at this time. And, and it did. Um, and no one would expect that small, you know, I mean, think of Jesus when he ascended into heaven, like that, just a small group of followers. Um, but as we saw in the book of Acts, like it's like the rock has hit the pond and the ripples keep going and going and going and going. And so what, what seems to be a small thing through the work of God, it has become... Um, an awe-inspiring thing. Yeah, Jay. Yeah, and he's dealing with, again, like even though he's been focused on Israel, like the message has been to this largely Gentile Roman church. Um, like you need to understand God's purposes for his people, um, which includes you, but isn't just you. Like, so like he's, 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 he's trying to warn the Gentiles against this kind of the same kind of excessive pride that caused Israel to stumble, you know, that they trusted in their own righteousness rather than receiving this righteousness through faith in the work of another, um, you know, so that, that stubborn pride 
um, was a stumbling block. And we can, as we talked about when we talked about chapters, um, or the end of chapter nine and beginning of chapter 10, like we, we still can succumb to that same danger. So, you know, um, so it's good for us to know. And so that's why I think he is presenting it in this very kind of persuasive, conversational manner, because we need to know this, um, because, you know, he doesn't want us to stumble. Um, and he wants us to, to be wholly reliant on, on this idea that it, it's great, because we can fall into the same trap of thinking, well, you know, I had a good week, and, you know, like, I went to Atlanta, and I served a church, like, I started the week, I, I went to um, Somerville and participated in a new, uh, creating a new Presbyterian church in Somerville, and then I went to Atlanta and participated in, um, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, caring for the, uh, you know, Reformed University Fellowship Ministry, and, you know, we're doing great work, and, like, so I could be, like, Hey, Presbyter Steve had a good week. <laughs> good little elder. Um, no, like, you know, like I, I deserve nothing. Like it, it's totally by God's grace. Um, and once we understand the depths of that grace, like, and how completely undeserving we are of any of it, like, then we come to these, like, oh, how. <laughs> like, um, you know, and, and, and it takes us to this, this, this praise of God. Um, and again, like, this is what, you know, as we think about the gospel and, and understanding the gospel of what God has done, that should naturally bring us into praise, into worship, like, you know, by understanding, you know, just a portion of what what God has done for us um, should should lead to just you know, and it's like He doesn't like He He just breaks forth into it, like you know, it's like you know He's sitting there going along with His argument, and then all of a sudden, like oh, <laughs> the depth of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God, like He can't hold back. And that's like, you know, this is, it's, um, it's not just the end of chapters 9 through 11. I think it's the end of chapters 1 through 11. Like, so he's, he's been doing doctrine the whole time. I mean, this is, in a sense, chapters 1 through 11 have been an extended commentary on this quote um, from Habakkuk. Um, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he's just given us ten and a half chapters um, explaining the doctrine. What's, how is that? Well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's a universal problem that, that God has dealt with 
through the definitive act of sending his son to reconcile the world from its, its sin. Um, so he deals with our justification. He presented our sanctification, um, how God has, is doing this transforming work in us. Um, and then you know, he's given us that spirit to adopt us, and that spirit um, is the same that equips us um, for this life and enables us to serve. And the one who has started a good work in us will bring it to completion. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's given us, and, and, and it's why people often talk about like Romans as a systematic theology. He's given us a systematic presentation of the gospel, um, the good news, the hope that is certain. And he ends that, that presentation of the gospel with, with praise. Um, and as, as Rob um, uh, um, you know, previewed for us, the, the last four chapters are going to be focused on the, um, you know, how then shall we live? Like, you know, right, right, in light of these truths, in light of the definitive acts of God displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, how, how then are, are we to, to live in this world? And so he, he's going to go into the, the application um, he's given us some bits of application along the way, but it's it's mostly been the doctrinal presentation. But now he's going to go into the sp specific. We're going to move, for the most part, from the indicative truths to the imperatives of how then, as Christians, we live in this world. Anything else we want to say on the doxology? It's it's beautiful. Like again, um, uh, you know. Um, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Like, you know, I, it's a great thing about hymns. <laughs> you can pack a lot of great theology into a short phrase. Um, to him, like, again, like, you know, um, like, what's the chief end of man? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So like the two is like everything exists. Well, I mean, think of two for a purpose. Like two, two and four are a little interchangeable. Like the, the word in the Greek for two and four is the same word um, or can be the same word. Um, like so the Greek word Sometimes they get translated to, sometimes they get translated for, but it's the same thing. It's like purposeful language. It has an end, like to this end, for this end. Um, for from him and through him and to him. So all things come, you know, from him. All things are coming through him, and they're all coming, you know, for him, you know, for his purposes. Right, source means destination. Like it's all, it's all about God. All right. Well, let me uh, close us in, in prayer. God, we do uh, pray that you would help us uh, have eyes uh, to see and ears to hear, so that we can, um, as Paul does here, uh, respond with doxology, uh, respond with praise. Um, that even though um, 
as we've even confessed today, that, um, that as finite human beings, um, we don't have a complete and total understanding of these things. But we know that you do. And just from the, um, what you've revealed from yourself about um, your work in history, um, that um, we are blown away by it. Um, and truly, um, your ways are unsearchable. Um, we could spend uh, the rest of our lives um, studying the book of Romans and never plumb uh, fully its depths because um, truly uh, your word um, and your revelation is unsearchable. And again, it is just um, a part, um, a small part of, of who you are and what you've done. And we'll have an eternity uh, contemplating uh, your greatness and glory. Um, but even now, we have a foretaste of it. And like Paul, can break forth into praise. And we pray that you would give us uh, joy and um, awestruck hearts uh, in this coming hour as we um, come and, and praise you together, um, lifting up the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In him and through him and to him are all things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.